Thank you for downloading this Brum Radio podcast. For more podcasts, visit brumradio.com. Hello, Dreamfesters. Welcome to the Dreamfest podcast. I am your host, Pete Steele. Thank you very much for downloading me into your ears today. First of all, an apology. I have had a slightly longer break than I had anticipated. I was going to have a short break over Christmas and New Year, maybe a week or two, maybe. Um, and I was going to get to the first podcast of 2021 out, sort of around New Year's Day. However, uh, lockdown happened and the kids are back home and I am now full-time teacher. So uh, my editing time has been greatly reduced. Um, but I have managed to get this one edited for you and I have managed to record a few others as well. So keep an eye out for those. I've got another five after today um, already in the bag and ready to be edited. Um, but for today, my very special guest is the wonderful Mr. Neil Jones. He is the singer, guitarist and songwriter for perhaps the premier soul band in the middle of the UK right now, a little band called Stone Foundation, who have done uh, numerous collaborations with the likes of Paul Weller, of Nolan Porter, Betty Lavette, Catherine Williams, William Bell, Hamish Stewart. The list goes on. I had a lovely chat with Neil over Skype uh, in mid-December, and we talk about all that sort of stuff. And uh, the band's latest album is Love Enough. Um, But don't forget, if you want some extra content with Neil, uh, extra 10 or so minutes of chat, plus some extra questions, you can join the Patreon at patreon.com slash dreamfestpod it's just two pound a month and you get lots of extra stuff and i'll give you a shout out on the podcast as well if you join up um but yeah crucially we'll be finding out who makes it into neil's dream festival lineup who's going to open the show who is headlining and who will serenade him while he eats all this will be answered and more uh, and i'll be back at the end with some handy links for you but let's join the conversation as i ask neil about his writing process with longtime writing partner neil sheesby aka she's as we curate a dream festival lineup with special guests, Stone Foundation's Neil Jones. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. We, we started out where we used to like face each other over a dining table with a notepad and a dictaphone, and it was like, that worked to start with to get it going, but I don't really think that was really the way that me and she's sort of feel as comfortable working. What tends to happen now with the dawning of our new technology and all that is we uh, ping ideas backwards and forwards on our mobile phones, really. You know what I mean? Sometimes I'll take something which is fully formed and Neil will add like an outro line or a bridge and and then vice versa, you know. So there's always, the other person's always got some kind of input into the other song, do you know what I mean? So mm. that's kind of how we work. Then we just take it to the lads. We have a thought process in our mind, this is going to sound like this, and then, and then it usually ends up sounding like something totally different. It sounds like us, because, yeah. you know, we're reaching, we're reaching for something that's probably inspired by, I don't know, hip-hop or American soul music or whatever, and and then it just gets amalgamated and gives that sort of um, UK vibe to it because we're obviously the musicians that are trying to put that across, you know. Mm. So we get our sound from it that way, really. Yeah. So let's take it back then to uh, a young Neil Jones 
when he was uh, first listening to music. You said you, you mentioned that your dad had sort of introduced you to to a few things. Was there anything in particular that stood out to you when you were younger that sort of got you into sort of the soul and that sort of stuff? I was. I, I guess I've got a very classic English schoolboy upbringing when it comes to music because a lot of the stuff I was really heavily listening to when I was a kid was the Beatles and things like that, you know, or the Small Faces, and I was really into that kind of vibe. But my dad's record collection also had things like, I remember just records off the top of my head. I remember St. Dominic's Preview by Van Morrison, which I just thought was an incredible record growing up as a kid hearing that. I remember he had quite a lot of Steely Dan records, which probably, in a in a weird way, kind of influenced the collaborative thing later on in years. Because, I mean, that's what Fag- Fagan and Beckett used to do, didn't they? They used to collaborate with so many different people on their records. And then my mum was always really influential in the respect that she'd always want my dad to put soul records on, you know what I mean? So that vibe was in there as well. And then I, I remember being a young kid at school and everyone else listening to what I thought was just crap at the time, which was like Depeche Mode and bands like that. I just didn't <laughs> like them, you know what I mean? Cause it, they, yeah. were the, they were, everyone loved them. And I was always that kid that sort of thought, I don't just want to go along with the flow here and just go, oh yeah, they're great. And then I sort of got into hip hop and that sort of changed everything for me. And and me and my best friend, Chad, at the time, we used to go to Oasis in Brum. If you, I don't know if you remember, he used to go down into the basement in Birmingham yeah. there. And then used to have like leather um, wallets, which doubled up, would, would look like gun holsters. Mm. So we, we used to buy these. We used to buy Raiders jackets. I had a flat top. I had like uh, the the baseball boots with the massive pads on that looked like you were playing cricket. Um, I was massively into it, man. And and like every time you went into Brum on the train, you could hear some form of of like hip hop, you know, like but be it Public Enemy or Della Soul or Tribe Called Quest or these kind of things, you know, along with the exotic aromas that you used to get on the ramp coming out of Broad Street, where you did rap. <laughs> You hear the Rastafarians like talking to each other. I just loved all that when I was a kid. Have you have you thought about perhaps uh, making a hip hop record at all? Maybe collaborating with some rappers. Well, on the last record, we got a lad who's a local to us. His his rap name's Mr. Memory. He was in a band called the Dookie Squad, and he's an incredible rapper. Uh, he he does a little thing on a song called '83. This is our time on the last record. But it's funnily enough, as we've started this new record, me and Shees have kind of sat down and said, let's try and make it sound a bit different, a bit more hard-edged, a bit more sort of hip-hop in its essence. And whether that comes out that way, I don't know. It's like I say, it's us doing it, trying to emulate something else. But it's always been something that I've loved. It's always been close to my heart. And it was kind of the thing that really got me into funk because, like, I used to hear these records and go, where is that from? You know, where's that Where's that drum sample from? Or where mm. did they get that groove or that little snippet? And then it gets you crate digging then, doesn't it, to find out what the record was that they used for the sample. Yeah, for me, it was actually the other way around. I was into funk and soul and then from that got into hip hop uh, afterwards so it's a little yeah a little bit the other way around live music of course is you know massive for a lot of bands yeah. especially yourself because you've traveled quite a lot haven't you? you've gone out to yeah. the far east and yeah. uh, and all over the shop is there any sort of favorite places you've played at all the the places we love playing i love playing in japan because it's just incredible it's so different to here mm. it's it's just an amazing place one of the venues, I was just speaking to them this morning, actually, because we are meant to be playing in Hamburg in March at a place called the Mojo Club. If you ever get a chance to go, 
go and check that venue out and watch a band there because it's brilliant. It's just so good. And the German crowds are, are just so loving. You know what I mean? They've got this kind of energy about them, you know. And I, especially in Germany, the, when we toured in Germany last year, the amount of people that come up and went, why, why did you, why are you leaving us? You know, they were gutted. About the Brexit thing, you know what I mean? Really, yeah. really gutted. I thought because really you'd finished your set. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, no. Um, but it's like you know, they're really loving people, lovely people in this country. We we love playing. We always do like a big show at Islington Assembly Hall in in uh, London, which I really love playing there. But I would say the f- best venue I've ever played, or my favourite venue, would be Shepherd's Bush Empire. I think that's mm. really that was like. That was on my wish list, really. And when we got to play there a couple of years ago, I was just made up by that, you know. I went to see, um, I saw Tower of Power at Shepherd's Bush Oh, Empire. wow. It was the one that was a while ago now, about well, close to 20 years ago now. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. yeah, that was wow. a top, top, top gig that was. So, yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about live music. I've got a few questions before we get into the, the main part of this. But um, do you remember the first gig you ever went to? Man, that's a good question, isn't it? It is. <laughs> trying, to, trying to remember that now. That's properly stumped me. I would probably say it was Crowded House. Okay. Uh, I was I was really into Crowded House when I was a kid, and I know that's kind of like one of those. It pro, it's funny, isn't it? Because now it's probably like one of those sort of bands that people would go, mm, Crowded House. But I, I, I always loved them. I thought Neil Finn was a fantastic songwriter. And um, when I was a kid, my dad took me and my mate Chad down to see him in London somewhere. I can't even remember the bloody venue. And I remember the support band was a band called Dada, which I'd never heard of them again or since. Yeah. I remember I, got, I bought two tape cassettes that night, one of Crowded House and one of the support band. I, I, yeah, I probably would think it was something like that, I would say. Yeah, I think uh, people say, uh, you know, Crowded House is perhaps what, a guilty pleasure. I don't really like that phrase yeah. particularly, but I think for anyone who's seen them live, that you know what they're like as musicians. They're, yeah, they're, not, they're, not, just, they're not just a pop band that, you know, write catchy songs. They're, they're proper, proper musos, aren't they? Well, funnily enough, through the first lockdown, Neil Finn was doing, uh, I think it was through the first lockdown, he was doing like this online thing from his studio in New Zealand. Mm. And it was just bloody brilliant. You know, he's got his kids playing with him now. So he's, yeah. he, he is just a phenomenal musician that you, you understand like when you work with, like when you work with Wella, for argument's sake, you understand why he is where he is. You know what I mean? Because, mm. I think these musicians can pick up something, start just noodling and playing, you know, messing about on an instrument, and it sounds like the best thing you've ever heard, you know what I mean? Because mm. they're that good. I think yeah. he falls into that bracket, whether whether you think he's cool or not. I think he's, I think he's cool. I'm with you there, Neil. Yeah. Do you remember the last gig you went to as a punter? Could have been a while ago. God. Bloody was. What was it now? What was the last gig? I was meant to. I had tickets to see Michael Kiwanuka just before this happened, and that oh. was I was going to see him in Madrid, so I saw him. Wow! I saw him at the inst. I saw him at the institute actually. Dan Digbeth caught him there, which was great. God, that's a bloody good one as well, and it feels like it's been that long since I've been in a in an environment to watch a gig. Yeah. Well, funnily enough, we went to Brum to uh, not the actress and Bishop. The Air and Hounds. We went to mm. see James Taylor Quartet. They played, oh, yeah. so that was that. That was pretty cool. That that couldn't have been far off lockdown. Mm. It couldn't have been far off. And then I took 
she's that we always bought we we usually buy each other tickets for Christmas to see gigs and uh, and and uh, obviously we did that year and I've had to veer off that now for this Christmas present you know what I mean yeah because you don't know when it when but, it's going to uh, be do you no but um but yeah it was probably it would have been the James Taylor Quartet yeah. or something like that. it would have been a smaller sort of gig you know yeah I, th- I, I saw James Taylor Glastonbury, I think it was. He was in the uh, the Craig Charles Funk and Soul Fantasy Band, and he was yeah, a key- yeah, keyboard yeah. player that day. That was that was Mick, a really good Mick, gig. That was Mick and Ernie were in that band, weren't they? Yeah, I think they were. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember seeing Michael Kiwanuka actually. Uh, when was that? That was before his first album came out at the Glee Club in Birmingham. Oh wow! That and he cool. was yeah, and he was supported by the Staves as well that day. And I absolutely <laughs> love the Staves. The Staves are fantastic. But yeah, just before he just before he sort of became really big. But um, yeah, really good, really good. I love his. I absolutely love his voice. I really do. Yeah, yeah, he's very, yeah. he's very good. Very yeah. Good. Uh, and my final question on this is: What's the best gig you've ever been to as a punter? Uh, the best gig. I've been to quite a few of those. I remember seeing Amy Winehouse in Birmingham. That was really special. I did as well. Was that was that before Black, Back in Black album? Was that? Yeah. It was. Yeah. It, well, it was when she had the. Or was it just before? I mean, I think it was just as that came out. She had the two dudes in suits singing BBs for her. Yeah, right. I, I could, it, it was the Frank album I saw her. I didn't see but, her. She done Back in Black. But Funnily enough, most of my uh, memories of really cool gigs were at uh, at the the Academy in Brom, the yeah. old one that used you know, by Toy Story. Uh, Toy Story. Toy, uh, Toys R Us. Yeah. Toys R Us, that's it. <laughs> I also remember seeing Love there, Arthur Lee play. Uh, with wow. you know, what wasn't love, but he had the big Swedish orchestra, so he yeah. had like the, this horn section. And I remember just before going in there, uh, my mate Glenn gave me a hash cookie, and uh, <laughs> it was the, the heaviest gig I've ever had in my life. <laughs> I just remember sitting there feeling like I had a grand piano on my head, but like in a really kind of <laughs> otherworldly way and just looking at, and he kept coming down to the front of the stage where we were, Arthur Lee, and pulling his shades down and eyeballing the front row. And I just thought it was wicked, man. It was like being transformed back to the late 60s, you know what I mean? Wonderful. Um, yeah, loads of uh, prints at the O2. I think that was Ooh. one of, that was in, just an incredible gig, you know. He, he, there's not many people, Prince and Bruce Springsteen are two people that come to mind that I've seen where they can command, I don't know, an 80,000-plus crowd, you know what I mean? And, and yeah. make the whole crowd feel like they're on that journey with them, you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, I could go on forever, to be yeah. honest, mate. Well, let's, let's, <laughs> let's go with the Arthur Lee. That's a, that's a good, that's a good, mm. uh, that's a good mm. best gig, I think. What we're going to do today is basically I've set up this festival, and um, I've got all the food trucks, uh, I've got all the wristbands sorted, invites have gone out, all the rest of it, stage, lighting, all done. But silly me, I forgot to book any bands, so... I need your help to book some bands for this uh, for this festival. And to help you out, we've got the use of a handy dandy time machine. So you can go to anywhere in musical history, and you can literally handle. Yeah, well, <laughs> suspend your disbelief for you know for the next uh, half an hour or so. And you also, I didn't tell you this. I'm not sure if I told you this, but you get to choose the form of your time machine, so you can travel however you like. What's what's the form of your time machine going to take? I've, I've been watching like a lot of those. Uh... Being a musician, I get up early, early in the morning. <laughs> now, really? Being a musician, I get up, get up about nine o'clock in the morning, have a cup of coffee, 
and I usually slam on uh, American pickers like while I'm having a cup of coffee. Nice. So I love that program, and I love the fact that they highlight a lot of 1950s American automobiles. You know what I mean? Mm. You know those style cars that you see the Cubans driving. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think yeah, it would yeah. Be that it would be that style of car that never ages because it never sees rain. It's always in the sunshine. No rust on it. You know what yeah. I mean? It'd be, it'd just be pristine. It'd be something like that, I think, mate. So uh, we're going for a 1950s American what Corvette, Chevy. maybe Corvette, Chevy, something like that. Soft, 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 soft. <laughs> Any particular colour? Oh, it'd have to be red. Red, nice, didn't nice. Even, didn't even, didn't even pause. It's red. No, it's got to be red. <laughs> okay, lovely. Right, we're going to be in your, in your red Corvette or yeah. you know Chevy or whatever you want. The day before the festival, so there's a few bars open, whatever, you can have a few drinks and with you with your select choice of mates. So you're going to have a bit of a late night. You can get up at 9 o'clock in the morning if you want to. But to wake you up in the morning, there's going to be someone right outside your tent to wake you up. So who's your wake-up call going to be? I think, and I wish I'd have got the cover out for you to show you, but I would pick uh, the Congos, uh, Row, Fisherman Row. I'd pick Ooh. that track because it's just there. Uh, I love the cover and I love the the vibe of that record. It's proper, proper reggae. You know what I mean? And it's just, yeah. it's just that kind of music that you could like literally just be transport you to a hot place, to a sunny place, to a to a you know just a different climate, a different environment, and a different state of mind. I guess so. Yeah, it would be the Congos. Wonderful. And uh, the weather at this festival is it's always sunny, so you don't have to worry oh, too much about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. It's, well, it can be whatever you want. If you prefer rain at your festival, you can have rain if you want. It's totally up to you, but lovely. Okay, so we're having the Congos to wake you up. So you managed to wipe the sleep from your eyes. You've had yourself a couple of painkillers because you've had a bit of a heavy night and the old booze. But um, the festival's about to start. So who's going to set the tone and put out the festival vibes? Who's going to open your show? I thought um, I would choose something new for this because okay. um, a band that I'm really digging at the moment, which is... So, uh, probably someone you're you're sort of uh, on on my wavelength with this, but a band called Salt. You have to tell me about Salt. Right. No. Okay, S A U L T. So it's not Salt that you put on your chips. It's yeah, okay. The U. They brought out two new records this year. I can't remember the titles, but I bought them on well, bought the one on vinyl because the other one's not available on vinyl yet. But the one's got like a, a Black Power Soul fist on the front. The, mm. All their records are just I love. I love the fact all their records are just black, just black sleeve, really plain. Um, but they bought out two records this year, and the one with the soul fist on I've got on vinyl is without question my album of the year. I think it's the best album I've heard this year. If mm. you buy that record on vinyl, I think you understand it more as well because it's really getting to the heart of that social, political thing that's going on in America at the moment for a lot of black people, you know what I mean? All, yeah. all over the world, let, let's be honest. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I mean, where, if I hear another person say to me, why are they still kneeling? Why are they doing this? And it's like, it, I just feel like saying this isn't about you. This mm. is about something bigger and greater. It's not even about Black Lives Matter as a movement. It's it's about something even bigger than that. You know what I mean? Something that's been suppressed for years and years. Mm. And this record just it gets it in a nutshell, man. It's like it's just it's got the message. It's got the music. They've done some incredible records, mate. You should check really check out that band. So these are, are they're American, right? Yeah, I haven't really delved into. 
they seem to have the same producer on everything, so I don't know whether he's at the heart of the band or whether it's a core band or whatever. All I know is I just love the records, and they're just great, great records. What sort of vibe? Is it like a funk vibe? Is it hip-hop? What, what, what are we talking? It, I would say it's like heavy soul. It's kind of... It's, it's, it's new. It's like... The thing I love about new soul music at the moment is the way that kids who are making it or the younger geezers that, or, and girls that are making it, they have like a, they take a little bit from the past, but they have a different take on melody and, and the way things are structured. And I, I just I just find it really interesting. And it's something that we're kind of trying to kind of investigate a bit more when we make music. So it's not just. That I think with his love enough that we've made a record that sounds old but also sounds new, and I think that's what this band do. They make records that have an element of that, but more so, it sounds like a new thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, thank you for that, Neil. Uh, that, that's sort of what this what this uh, this podcast is about is to discover some new stuff as well as uh, yeah. as reminiscing over old stuff. So we're going to have a sprinkle of salt then for to open your show. That sounds pretty yeah. good to me. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So salt will finish their their opening set. Uh, and now we're going to have a secret guest. So suddenly some flyers are circulating around the crowd with the promise of an exciting, previously unannounced guest set. Who's going to be surprising your crowd? Oh, it's got to be it's got to be the big O, Otis Redding. Oh yes, the man that the man that kind of made me. I think I think really he's probably the man that made me single-handedly want to be a singer. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's like. I was so fortunate, and I didn't throw his name in just tell this story, but it's a story that I have to tell when I mention his name. Go for it. So fortunate about, it was about seven or eight years ago. I always go, I used to go to Memphis quite a lot, and I became friends with a lot of bands that work on Beale Street. So I got introduced to a lot of musicians that way who played on a lot of old soul records. Hmm. And the one time we went on a road trip and me and a couple of my mates, Scott and Jamie, and I said to him, let's go to Macon, Georgia. That's where Otis is from. I want to see his statue. There's a statue there. And I said, also, I've heard that there's like this place called the Big O Foundation, which is run by his wife, Zelma. So we rocked up, saw the statue, parked in the main road by the Big O Foundation, knocked on the door, walked in, and there was Otis Redding's wife. <laughs> And then she goes, hang on, I'll get the family out. And Carla came out. Now, I follow Carla Redding on uh, Instagram. And yeah. Carla looks so much like her dad. It's unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, it's unbelievable. And she walked in, and all his grandkids were in there. And then we spent we spent like about an hour with them, basically. We had a drink and just talking about what his music meant to us and the, the things that they were doing, the Big O Foundation set up to help kids in the area to get them into music and to keep Otis's legacy alive, you know what I mean? So it does a lot of good for the community. And then she was like, I remember Zelma, that we've got all these signed postcards, and she said, oh, if you guys had told me you were coming by, I'd have took you to the ranch. And I was thinking, oh, man, could you imagine going to Otis's ranch? But the, the thing that I'll always I'll take to my grave, she said to me, have you been to the Stax Museum yet? And I'd already been like the year previous or something. And I said, no, but I said, we will go because it's like a pilgrimage. You always go to the Stax <laughs> Museum. And uh, she said, well, there's an Otis Redding picture photography exhibition on at the moment. I'll ring ahead uh, and let them know you got it. She took our names and we didn't think anything of it because we were traveling for another week before we got back to Memphis. 
got back to Memphis and I, as we got to the reception at uh, the Stax Museum, I just said to the lads, well, I'll ask anyway, you know. And I just said, uh, Zelma Redding said to say that we were coming and I gave our names and he looked down the list and he went, yep, you're good to go. Guests of the Reddings. And I was like, fucking hell. <laughs> so that was my, that's probably one of the highlights of my entire life, I would say, that uh, we were on... Otis Redding's family guest list to see his uh, <laughs> to see his exhibition. It was just amazing. That is a hell of a claim to fame, dude. <laughs> uh, and I think uh, I think if he came out as a secret guest, that would just literally blow everyone's mind. In so that, uh, in that green mohair suit like he had on at uh, Monterey, yeah. weren't it? That would be amazing. Any any particular songs you'd like to hear from him? I, I know it's like a comp thing in it but uh i used to play tell the truth a lot and all that stuff on that record i love all that yeah. so any anything really i mean he could just sing anything couldn't yeah. he try a little tenderness though it's pretty incredible as well isn't it <laughs> yeah absolutely oh wow that's yeah that's got me thinking about listening to Otis Redding now um <laughs> well Otis Redding has, has finished uh his try a little tenderness uh, and he's, um, he's certainly built up a bit of an appetite for yourself, so it's time to go and get something to eat. What is your favourite festival grub? What's going to keep you going and sustained for the rest of the day? I'm, uh, I'm really big into the uh, sort of Turkish cuisine. I like that sort okay. of stuff. When I've read that question and I thought, hmm, because I, I also, my, my memories, because I'm obviously talking to you today and like being a Brummie and everything, I'm thinking about Birmingham. And I always remember when we used to go to gigs or when we used to get to snobs when I was a kid and yeah. you could dance at the, you know, the Indian funk nights. I mean, the, the funk nights were great down there, weren't they? In the little room at the side of the big room, we always used to go down Chinatown and, and have some proper Chinese grub as well, you know what I mean, before yeah. we went. So anything like that, really. I will literally eat anything. I've been getting more into the. <laughs> I've been. I've been getting more into the looking after myself vibe more though now. Mm. I don't eat as much red meat. I'm sort of, you know, telling us about the environment and stuff like that. So I am trying to do a bit of that as well. But yeah, Turkish food. Oh God, that's that's an incredible concoction. That is, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think that's. Uh... That's fair. And also, because this is your dream festival, you don't have to worry about calories. It's fine. No, well, exactly. Calories and cholesterol don't exist in, yeah. this, in this world. It's fine. <laughs> well, all right. Well, while, you, while you're tucking into your scran, uh, maybe a bit of Mr. Egg is there as well. Who knows? Mr. Egg, um, yeah. Well, I thought you were going to mention Mr. Egg, to be honest, <laughs> no, when you said Chinatown. No, I, I did think, you know, when you think of Rome, you do think of Dexys and Mr. Egg. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because that's where, yeah. apparently, that's where they used to meet up, innit? That's it's what Pete Williams yeah. was telling me. So it's like, and that, I always remember it just being there on the corner. Mad, yeah. mad isn't it, that place? Yeah. It's not there right. anymore, is it? No, it closed down, unfortunately. It's a shame. It's an inst- it was a Birmingham institution, wasn't it? <laughs> it was, but, yeah. uh, All right, well, you're going to tuck into your Turkish scran, um, and while you eat, a stage has been set up, and someone is about to come and do an acoustic set for you. So it could be an acoustic artist or a non-acoustic artist, but they're going to get an acoustic show on the go. So who's going to serenade you while you eat? I'm going to go, well, it's got to be an acoustic artist if we're going to do this properly. I will go for Richie Havens. Oh, Yes. And, yes, uh, yes, yes. I chose, I chose Richie because I'd love it. I'd just love to hear him play. Going back to my roots, just him on an acoustic. That'd be amazing. As you know, we cut co- we covered it on um one of the about two or three singles ago and mm. we did a cover of it. The reason I started playing it on the guitar was because I I was listening to Richie's version of just him, but I think they did a um, a dance mix of it as well. We wanted to keep mm. it more like the Richie Avens version because it was harder. 
you know, more hard-edged, really. Well, like, uh, just things like when you see him at Woodstock singing, sometimes I feel like a motherless child. He's doing all that stuff. He's, he's just brilliant, isn't he? So, yeah, Richie Ivans. That's a wonderful, because the story goes with Woodstock, he, he basically opened the show, didn't he? But yeah. he was, because he was first on and no one else had turned up yet, I think he did like a three-hour set or something ridiculous yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah, just yeah. him and a guitar. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what a show to go to. Wow. Yeah, brilliant. brilliant. Okay. Well, you're talking to your Turkish scrant, bit of Richie Havens. Wonderful. Yeah. Okay. Right. We're getting down to the local acts now. So we're going to give a bit of props to a local band. Now, you can't pick yourself, Neil, just before, yeah. you, before you try to. Uh, but So it could be a legendary band, an established current band, or an up-and-coming band from, uh, from Birmingham that you think should get some festival exposure. Who are you going to pick? I would I would pick uh, the band that me and she started listening to a lot when we were sort of getting together and the, getting the Stone Foundation thing together. And I know it's a bit spurious because I'm not sure whether all of the people in the band are from Brum, but I know Stevie Winwood was. So I'm going to pick Traffic. Oh, yes. Yeah. I was wondering oh, if it's going to be Spencer Davis, but yeah, Traffic. No, no, I've got to pick Traffic. I mean... It's weird, actually, because I went on our Spotify page and I can see that that band's mentioned. And I keep thinking, how did that get there? Because I know I didn't put that. And I know she's didn't, because I would have put out of all of his bands, the band that influenced me the most was Traffic, because mm. they had that kind of soul funk thing. But they also had that kind of it was like a rootsy folky thing as well going on weren't it it was just yeah. really cool music man it was just like a, an amalgamation of so many sounds and that band were like right up there for me as a kid like when i was 18 19 that really influenced where i was going and, and how i wanted to approach songwriting you know the traffic mm. it is wonderful uh, it's time now for the intimate set so there's a tent that holds around 30 people so it's a little bit of a squeeze so who do you want to see up close and personal in, a, in an intimate setting? Well, with this one, I would relive something that I've already experienced. And I just thought, when I saw this question, I thought, yeah, and it took me back to, we did a festival in, it was called Y Fest, and I think it was only on mm. for one, no, it was, it was called Spider Fest, that's right. All right. It was down in Weymouth, Portlandville, down Portlandville, mm. and it overlooked the ocean. Amazing idea from a guy who might have been working for the Rhythm and Blues magazine or something like that. I'm just going to shut this door, mate. You can, you can, hear, my, uh, you can hear my washing machine going um, but, uh, Domestic goddess, yeah, Neil. I know, exactly, yeah. But you can, you basically, it was a great idea. They had some brilliant bands on. And it was just such a shame because they had this massive stage outside and it absolutely hossed it down for like mm. the whole weekend. It just chucked it down. But they also had a little tent which held about, I'd say, about 60, 70 people. So they had to redirect all of the bands into this tent. And one of the guys that they booked was a guy called Tony Joe White, who obviously mm. wrote, he wrote Steamy Windows for, uh, for um, Tim Turner. Turner. Yeah. He wrote songs that Elvis Presley covered, like Polk Salad Annie and, and songs like that, you know what mm. I mean? And he also was an incredible, you know, incredible songwriter and performer in his own right. And uh, I just remember he played, it was him on, a, on an old Fender and a drummer. So it was almost like White Stripes kind of territory, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it was just fucking incredible, man. When the guy opened his voice, he had like, he's got like this proper deep, south rumble to his voice 
And he's like one of the lines in um, Pope Saladani is down in Louisiana where the alligators grow so mean. And he's like started this and the whole tent seems to rumble. And outside there was like this thunderstorm kicking off. And we're all just sat there going, is this actually happening? You know, what I mean? <laughs> it was like it was just an incredible, incredible experience. But I could have, I could have also picked. I've had two moments like that in my life. I could have also picked Arthur Brown because okay. uh, because we got to see him one time in a working men's club in the Midlands. It was me, she's, and our guitarist. And on the same night, there was Tim Rose who wrote um, Hey Joe. He he was he performed oh, the little okay. acoustic set. And then Arthur Brown come on with two dudes either side of him. One had one of them kind of cajon boxes, big box, mm. and a guitar case. And the other one had an acoustic guitar. And you just, uh, the lights went down. In a, in a, this is a working men's club, and we're sat on tables around this working men's club. And we had, like, in the old school days, we'd do the old student buffet where you'd open up the bags of crisps and scatter them out on the top. You know what I mean? So we were helping ourselves to crisps at nice points. And uh, all of a sudden the lights go down and you hear bang, 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 like this. And he walked on stage with the hat, you know, like he used to set fire to the hat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had massive staff and he went into a version of where have you been, my blue-eyed son? Where have you been, my darling young one? And it was fucking incredible. We were all just going, (laughs) what the? He had a cape on and everything. And then by the end of the set, he he burst into, obviously, fire, started doing fire as an acoustic version, and he had one foot on our table at the front of the stage. He was going, fire, I take you to burn. And the whole like club's in there. I mean, it's a working men's club. It was mental. <laughs> and um, so those are two experiences I've had with people where it's just like, what the hell is going on? I like, uh, I like the idea of the, of the crazy world of Arthur Brown just trampling on your crisps. Yeah, <laughs> while he's doing, while he's doing a set. Messing, messing up the buffet. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's brilliant. Wonderful yeah. stuff. All right. Well, uh, Neil, we're going to come on to what... This is one of my favourite questions, actually. This is the full album performance. Yeah. So whose album would you like to hear played in its entirety by the artist? I... But, well, we were talking about Michael Kiwanuka. I think he's brought back something that was kind of... That most artists don't think about now. So like something like Love and Hate, for mm. me, is like the perfect record. I think that record's even better than his latest one, to be honest. And that's yeah. the one that's getting audits. I just think that was a perfect record, start to finish, because people don't really make records like that anymore, do they? But I think for me, without question, the record that everyone should hear from start to finish is uh, "What's Going On" by Marvin Gaye, because it's uh, just it's just that it's like the standard bearer, isn't it? Really? Yeah, can't disagree with you at all on that. I think um, for me personally, I think he's the greatest singer that ever lived. I think the the beauty of that record is there's all those different songs on it but they all blend into one glorious piece of music and it almost yeah. sounds like they played the album from start to finish. I suppose it's one of the, I suppose it's an early concept record, I guess. It's one of the yeah. earliest versions of a concept record. But yeah, I remember seeing um, a documentary with him in and just seeing him lying on a, on a couch in a recording yeah. studio, <laughs> just singing like, like you were singing normally. I mean, you're a singer. I, I sing as well. So I know what it's like yeah. to, to try and sing when you're sitting down or lying mm. down, and you can't do it. But he sounded yeah. like he was stood up and his that's chest was fully out. That's a brilliant doc, in it? That's around the uh, sexual healing time, I think, isn't it? Around that yeah, time. Yeah. And that Belgian guy took him in, didn't he? And he that's ended right, up stopping yeah. in, in his house, his family. But 
And then you get that brilliant scene where he walks into the church and he just starts singing in the church and it's like, oh my God. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. I think that's a, I think that's a great shout. Start to finish what's going on by Marvin Gaye. Yeah. All right. Okay, Neil. Right. The sun is starting to go down. The headline is getting ready, but first someone to get you warmed up. Now you could go two ways with this. I think you can, I think you can go, you can go sort of mellow and chilled out with the sun going down, or you can just start to get the things, start to get the pace moving a bit. Which way are we going to go? I'm just going to go full armour because I think like most of the things I've picked have been a little bit more gentle and a little bit more, you know, because I know what your next question is. Who would be the two sort of people that I'd like to see play there and then someone else play straight after? Yeah. And especially if you've had a few drinks, I'd go for Iggy Pop and the Stooges. (laughs) Oh, Oh, what an answer. (laughs) (laughs) Can you imagine that? Can you imagine it? Can you imagine him like just having it, diving into the crowd and, and just the chaos and the energy that would be put out on that stage would yeah. be quite something, wouldn't it? So we're going for peak, peak, what, early to mid-70s Iggy Pop? Yeah, I'd say so, yeah. I mean, I could have, I was. it was a t- toss-up between that and uh, DC, because I love ACDC, mm. I've always loved them. And uh, it was so lovely. I had a message, I had a a video call off one of my mates, Glenn, who I've known for years. And he's like a proper, you know, when I grew up as a mod in my band, he was like a proper rocker. He was like the antithesis of each other we were, you know. (laughs) And he was always into those those kind of bands. And to be honest, I always had a soft spot for him. You know what I mean? When when you're like pretending to sort of be into, oh, I only do soul and, you know, the small faces and all. But, Deep down, man, you listen to DC records, that's just proper, full on, four to the floor rock and roll, that is, isn't it? You know what I mean? Yeah. And the new record, he rang me up just to say, have you heard the new record? And I was like, yeah, I bought it on vinyl. And it's just brilliant. It's just like, they're not trying to re- reinvent the wheel. It's just ACDC and it's fucking brilliant. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Wonderful. Brilliant stuff. Yeah, All right, so the Stooges or, or DC, yeah. Yeah, let's have a bit of Iggy Pop. So, okay, you mentioned that you thought about this in a sort of two-headed kind of uh, the two-headed beast, if you like. So, yeah. who is who's going to be the headliner and who's the main attraction and who's going to close your show? Okay, with that question, I, I would go for Public Enemy then. Oh, really? Yeah. Ah, I'd wonderful. Just, I've got I've got to have some form of hip hop in here because I'd be gutted if I didn't put an hip hop artist on. And uh, I, I think they're probably the best of the bunch when it comes to, you know, message, attitude, performance, because you've got the two front men, you've got Flavor Flavor and Chuck D. And it's like, and, and also, I don't know whether you've heard the latest stuff they did. Um, they brought out a new single and it's just phenomenal. Well, a new record, actually. And it's just phenomenal. And it, it's just like took, took me right back to why I fell in love with that band when I first heard them, you know. Yeah, Flav, Flav's left now, hasn't he? Is that right? No, he's, he's, re, he's rejoined for this new record. Uh, I thought he got kicked out for some reason. No, I can't remember who he was. Did, he, did, he did get kicked out. Or maybe the timeline's skewed, I don't know. But this new record, he's on this new record. Oh, and, right. uh, God, it's just incredible. The single was incredible. It was just a complete mm. attack on Donald Trump. And it is just, it's just, it's, it's blistering. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, I think when it comes to hip-hop, I like Public Enemy are up there for me because I I love Chuck D's sort of authoritative yeah. vocals. He's like he's like he is like the Otis Redding of hip hop, I think. 
Yeah, you know it's, what for, it's what hip hop's all about for me. Yeah. yeah, when you hear those, uh, I, I always equated all those vocals on those hip hop records, whether it's Big Daddy Kane or Public Enemy or I don't know the Booyah Tribe or bands like that that I was really listening to when I was growing up. I equated all of that to my favourite soul singers. Each one of them, Eric B and Rakim, they all yeah. had different voices. Where you heard it and thought. He reminds me a bit of like a Curtis, like someone like Ice T had that kind of softer, you know, edge to his voice. Or uh, and then Chuck D was always for me. He was like, that's that's Otis, man. If he was a singer, he'd be like Otis Redding. There, that kind of element of to, to their voices. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. actually singing. Yeah, absolutely. So Public Enemy have closed the beat down. Flavor Flav's dropped his clock. Whatever he's done with it. Yeah. Probably throwing it, throwing it into the crowd or whatever. Oh boy! Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the lights are going to go down on the stage, and someone mentions there's a jam session happening up on the top of the hill with a campfire, and they've invited you to go along. You get to bring your guitar, you can take some bongos or whatever. And when you get there, someone completely unexpected is also there, and they want to have a little jam with you, so jam throughout the night. So you're going to jam with in front of the campfire to bring the festival to a close. Well, I'm I'm going full circle here, and I'm yeah. bringing it. Can you imagine jamming with Bob Marley and the Wailers? <sighs> <laughs> Could you imagine that? Could you just I'm, imagine? I'm, I'm trying talking, to. I'm talking old grey whistle test footage, Bob Marks. I'm talking Peter Tosh, Bunny Whale. Um, I, we we went and saw Family Man Barrett play at uh, the Academy one time. Me yeah. and Cheese. And this was just before they banned smoking in venues. Uh. And I've never smelt so much marijuana in a venue <laughs> in my life. <laughs> he did the he did the whole of Exodus and it was no. like it was just mental. You know what I mean? It was just the the air was just thick with like you didn't have to smoke in there, you could just inhale. Yeah. Um but can you imagine what that would be like, man? Like Peter Tosh, one of the coolest fucking dudes ever. And that band were just incredible, you know. So it wasn't just Bob, mm. it was like that unit of players. They were just brilliant, man. Oh, that sounds amazing. Yeah. Acoustic guitar, a bit of Bob. And also I can get away with it because, you know, you know what reggae's like. It's not like you've got to really learn like like it's it's like the blues, isn't it? You know what I mean? Mm. It's another core thing in music that without it you'd be fucked. And it's like, you know, give me the key and I'll be all right. You know what I mean? I'm there with you. And it's that's that kind of just motion, that forward motion all the time, isn't it? Yeah, wonderful. That sounds like a great way to round it off, I reckon. Neil, that uh, that basically concludes your uh, your dream festival lineup. We've had a good old go at this. We've had the Congos, we've had Salts, Otis Redding, Richie Havens, Traffic, Crazy World of Arthur Brown, Marvin Gaye, Iggy Pop, Public Enemy, Bob Marley. That sounds like good. That sounds pretty good to me. What do you reckon? It's all right, isn't it? I think. Yeah. Yeah. I reckon another, so. another hangover for the following morning. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Um, have you got any? Uh, how can people keep up to date with Stone Foundation? Where can people uh, find your stuff? We're on Facebook and um, obviously all the all the social media: Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and our website StoneFoundation.co.uk. Always, it's always kept up to date, so uh, people can see what's going on. And uh, did you uh, did, I, did I dream this, or have you announced re-announced your tour for next year? Is that yeah? That yeah. So we're playing we're, we're playing in Birmingham at uh, the Academy, I think, in Brom. I'm sure mm. it's the Academy playing in Brom. Yeah, and we're doing a I think it's about a 21 day tour of the UK, uh, September, October, November. So yeah, we're just looking forward to get. I think everyone's looking forward to it. anyone who plays music can't wait to get out and play next year. Yeah. It's going to be interesting, though, isn't it? Because I think, like, realistically, September, October, November, December, they look like the months that, 
you know, once all this shit's behind us, they'll be happening. You know what I mean? Mm. There's going to be a lot of bands playing uh, a lot of places at the same time, isn't there? You know what I mean? So it's going to be interesting. But hopefully by then, people's confidence will be back. They'll be up for going out and and just feeling that that beautiful medicine that music is. You know what I mean? And just yeah. making people feel good again. You know. I think it's going to be a, I think it's going to be an explosion of music I think next year and I can't mm. wait. What's sort of next in your plans uh, in terms of recording? You say you're writing a new album or is it Yeah, so we're we're well well on track for the the follow-up record already. I mean, our new record only came out in October, but we're working on that at Weller's place at the moment and um hoping that that'll be uh, in some sort of shape next year. I don't know whether it'll come out next year. We've not made any firm plans yet, but we just want to just stay creative, keep putting music out, really, mm. you know. Yeah, well, I suppose you've got to tour this this current record first, haven't well, we? Yeah, yes. but I mean, we could, be, we could be in a position where we end up touring two records at the same time, which would be quite mental, really. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be good, though. That'd yeah, good. no, great, great. Yeah. But, like, just mental to think, you know, it's just a weird situation to be in. But, yeah, we'll see, we'll see. But it's, yeah. it's, it's good fun, it's exciting, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's good to do. Nice one. Well, Neil Jones, thank you very, very much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Cheers, Nathan, get off into your red Corvette and uh, travel <laughs> off to your, to your dream festival lineup. Or, or I could go and empty the washing machine. <laughs> <laughs> you can do that first, it's fine. <laughs> well, well, well. There we have it. That was Neil Jones from Stone Foundation. My sincerest of thanks go to him for giving me well over an hour of his time at a time that was leading uh, just up to Christmas. Um, if you haven't already, please sign up to the Patreon to hear extra chat with Neil and extra questions, including who he would spend an hour of his time with backstage as well as his dream band lineup. If you want to get hold of any Stone Foundation music, it's in the usual places, Spotify, iTunes, etc. But if you are a vinyl collector like I am, then head to their website, stonefoundation.co.uk, where you will find all of their vinyl releases, um, which as I record, I think there's a bit of a sale going on there. So uh, go and splash the cash on some wonderful back catalogue material. Uh, You'll also find the usual T-shirts, mugs and signed lyric sheets if you go in for that sort of thing. I personally have too many mugs and T-shirts in the house. So I can't splash on those sort of things. But so if I make some room, maybe I will. And remember, if you want to become a patron of this podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash dreamfestpod. It's just £2 a month for all the extra content and knowledge that you are helping make something you like to listen to. Uh, follow me also on Twitter at dreamfestpod or at brumradiopete. And there's a Facebook page as well to get on there and maybe start a conversation about who you would like to see on uh, your Dream Festival lineup or indeed who you might want to hear as a guest on the show. My thanks also go to Richard Farmer for the artwork, Jane Powell for the music, and to the Brum Radio podcast channel for hosting. I shall be back in a couple of weeks' time with my special guest. Not sure who it will be yet, as I've got a few to choose from, but I promise it will be a belter. Uh, That's all from me, so thank you very much for listening, and remember, if you book them, they will come. Bye. Thank you for listening to this Brum Radio podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and rate us on your podcast app.